0: Well, uh a <clears throat> couple of things as as we get going here, uh if you haven't already had a chance to grab your um toast and and coffee, we want to finish today with communion. So, uh it's kind of BYOC today and and if you could just have your elements standing by, we can get to those in a little bit. <clears throat> uh um We had some good news last week. Uh, Laurel started a Bible study happening at two times during the week. We had about 16 different women that are logging on um, 8 a.m. on Monday morning and then again on uh, Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. And it's a six-week Bible study um, addressing areas of fear, uh, which seemed like a really appropriate thing to go through with all the uncertainty during this time. But if you still wanted to log on and be a part of that, um, <clears throat> let Laurel know. Just reach out to her via email or text, and, and we can make that work. Uh, and she can get you some of the materials that you might need for that. Um, also, uh, I know that uh, Mayor Adler extended the shelter in place through May 30th. We are still moving forward and trying to hope and plan for Cinco de Bayou on June the 7th. It's a Sunday. Uh, that might end up being our first time back altogether, um, <clears throat> but we think that might be a great opportunity to come and celebrate. So uh, that's an event that is, is hard to pass up on uh, because it just has been such a special part of our, uh, uh, over the last four years, where we just invite. It's kind of an all-comers party that's pretty unique that like you can't find anywhere else. And then, uh, just on a personal note, I wanted to share with you something that I would love for you to participate. On Saturday, uh, um, May 23rd, we're, we're gonna host in our front yard sort of an open-house drive-by graduation party for Annika. And um, imagine graduating from high school and having no walkthrough ceremony, no prom, no grad night, no yearbook signings. And so we just decided to cast the net among our friends and family and just say, would you help us um, celebrate her and kind of bring that closure to that chapter of her life? She's decided she's gonna follow her big brother and uh, be under his watchful care at Texas A&M University. Uh, She got accepted to the honors program there. And so we're really excited for her. But if you could come that day with maybe some either spoken or written words in the form of a card, uh, pull over and just kind of speak into her life, maybe a fun memory, maybe attributes of Christ that you see in her. Uh, We would love your help in celebrating her because this is kind of the only graduation she might have. Uh, uh, Well, they talked about trying to do a walkthrough maybe in August and we're like, uh no that's too late so uh we got that coming up um uh angela davidson do you have any kind of announcement for us regarding things the one thing we do know is that um lauren shower will be no contact she feels most comfortable with that so we're going to respect um how she's feeling and so me and Addie are trying to figure out the best way to it'll probably be on Zoom, but we're trying to figure out the best way to figure out how we wanna shower her with gifts and love and the best way to do that. And we need to communicate with her to see what days might work for that as well. Cause it's gonna be more mid June. We're thinking mid late June. So that's gonna be a little closer to the end of her um the end of her whole trimester and everything. So Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So details are coming for a baby shower. I know a couple of you have asked about a baby shower for for Lauren, and we want to celebrate that uh, as they kind of say yes to parenting now in uh, year two of marriage. So th- that's exciting stuff. Well, as as we go forward, uh, <clears throat> let me just uh, just begin a time in in prayer, uh, and I just want to kind of settle our hearts in as we go into this scripture this morning. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, I I thank you for this day and what it means. I thank you for the moms that have been so impactful in our lives. I thank you for how you demonstrate your care, your concern, your strength, your wisdom. Thank you for the fullness of of your love demonstrated through them. And I pray for your extra grace uh, be upon them today as they manage homes in quarantine. Uh, I pray that you would speak to us through your word today. And I pray that you would guide us in your truth and in your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Speaking of of moms, there was a lady back um, in the 1800s. Her name was Sarah Winchester. And I don't know if that name rings a bell to any of you, but Sarah Winchester was the wife or became the widow of Mr. Winchester, who had started the Winchester Arms Company, the company who made weapons. And after her husband's death in 1881, Sarah inherited more than $20 million, which would be equivalent to about $543 million in today's economy. That's a windfall of cash in any era of time. But she also received nearly. 50% 50% ownership of the company, giving her income of roughly $1,000 a day, which today is about getting $26,000 today a day. Well, she was haunted by the death of an infant daughter, um, and her, and her husband, and leaving the East Coast, Sarah moved west in 1884, and she purchased an unfinished farmhouse in the Santa Clara Valley and began building this mansion. If you visit there today, there is something called the Winchester Mystery House. I don't know how many of you have ever been there, but when she got there, again, it was just a farmhouse, but carpenters were hired and worked on the house day and night until it became a seven story mansion. She used no architect and added onto the building, very haphazard, so that the home actually made no sense, like hallways and and doors uh, and stairs that lead to nowhere. There was windows overlooking other rooms. There was stairs with odd sized risers there was roughly 161 rooms, 40 bedrooms, two ballrooms, 47 fireplaces, 10,000 panes of glass, 17 chimneys, two basement levels, and three elevators. And you think you have a hard time keeping your home clean? Here's my point. Sometimes I think our lives feel Half-hazard, where events and experiences lack rhyme or reason and it's really easy to be super busy managing our home building our lives especially around our kids it's easy to be haunted by our past and our fear of missing out or god forbid that our kids might miss out on some experience we're often haunted by the fear of disappointing others. And all of these worries can cause us to build a life by constantly reacting to crisis, fatigue, fears, and guilt. And my point is this, we need both a solid foundation and a master plan. What that means spiritually is we need to have an understanding of what it means to have a relationship with Christ, but also a path to follow after Christ. It's not enough to, quote, get saved. There is this unfolding life that can bring liberty if and when we surrender and trust in a living God who's with us through thick and thin. For Sarah Winchester, she was haunted by this loss of an infant daughter, as well as the loss of her husband. She went to go see a medium who began to speak to her about spirits, and the reason she kept building all these rooms was somehow to appease the spirits. And I thought, here's a person who was completely lost, and today you can visit this home and see how she was haunted by that. Let me say this. Most of the Bible isn't made up of laws of do's and don'ts. That's an important thing to think about. It's written primarily as a story. There's small narratives, and then there's a meta or a grand narrative. And it's important to understand the whole picture, but also how each stick, each small picture points to the redemptive thread of God courting a people back into relationship with him. And God is always seeking to encounter us in His story. When the gospel unfolds and takes root in a person's life, you should realize that there's a growing dependence in Christ and a growing awareness of God's presence. That's what the gospel should do when you work out your salvation, and so I think this is really good news. This is the gospel. It means your heart is reorienting towards a life in Christ. It it reorients our sense of fear, scarcity, and self-preservation with confidence, right? With comfort, with compassion and generosity. The gospel enables us to see the difference in the world that God intended with the broken world, with the world that we actually live in. This isn't just good news. It's liberating and transformational news. And so what I've been trying to do over the last few weeks is look at real life encounters of the gospel, good news where it interrupts people's lives and it changes them. Now, I want you to use your imagination when we go through these stories, because if you cannot see these as real events, I think you'll miss the point. Jesus brought the kingdom of God before people in a way that they could not ignore. He made the kingdom of God present for them. I don't know what haunting fears or haunting concerns that you live with, but these stories are meant to be our story and to intersect with us. And if you have your Bibles today, rather than switching back and forth, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. Because what we read in Matthew 15 is the story of a faith of a worried, desperate mother. And it's the story of someone who's not Jewish. In fact, she's a Gentile mom, and she's advocating on behalf of her plagued daughter. And so I thought this was such an appropriate way for us to talk about Mother's Day in light of this concerned parent. And so if you read with me, Some of you, your versions will talk about a Syro Phoenician woman. Sometimes we'll talk about a Canaanite woman, but all that to say she was not a Jewish woman living in the greater Galilean region. And that's pretty important to the larger story going on. But it says, leaving that place, this is Matthew 15, beginning in verse 21, leaving that place. Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying aloud. And for all of you moms who have ever had to show up at school and say, why is my son or daughter being treated like this? Understand this is the heart of a mom crying out in helplessness, says um, came to, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from a demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. That's weird. A woman in desperation crying out on behalf of her daughter and Jesus' mum. So his disciples came to him and urged him, would you just send her away? She keeps crying out after us. They were being annoyed at an advocating mom. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Okay, now that just sounds kind of rude. And the woman came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me, she said. He says, is it not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs? Okay, that sounds rude. And yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very moment. Okay. There is a lot to this passage that we need to understand so that we actually find the good news. See, Canaanites were living around Jerusalem. They were survivors driven to the north, into Phoenicia, during the Israelite conquest. They had been conquered, but they were not appreciated. Do you understand what's happening? There's culture war. There's racism. There's prejudice. There's people living among other people groups, and they do not like one another. And in Jesus's time, one had to pass through this territory to get from Galilee to Caesarea Philippi. They had to go through one of those neighborhoods. Do you catch my my meaning? They were the most morally despised of Israel's enemies and she this canaanite woman knows that she cannot help her girl she knows that she's not well liked she knows that her station is beneath them and the disciples were of no help they want her gone and you can even see in their voice the the kind of racial prejudice that exists and the reason i think this is so significant at least today, given what we found out this last week, is this is how we need to see people, especially in a society full of prejudice and racism and violence. This week, we learned of another senseless death of a black man, Ahmad Arbery. Are you watching the news? Every week, I run in a largely white neighborhood, and even though it doesn't have sidewalks, I can run with safety in my neighborhood, and I don't have to fear violence, where a father and a son can load up with their weapons and chase after a black man. See, the good news is supposed to heal social divides. It can transcend cultural prejudice and the way you were raised. Now, let me just reflect on this personally. I hate it when, as a pastor or as a Christian, I get lumped into these other categories or not given the benefit of the doubt, like, oh, you're a Christian, you're like all those other people. And the gospel offers the kind of healing for our soul, but it should also encourage us to grieve over violence and racism and greed and the vulnerable living among us. See, we don't just need good news to change our mind. We need it to shape our hearts. I hope you grieve that. I'm, I'm almost positive that this father and son had their church that they attended, but they're so deeply rooted in this cultural norm that the gospel has never actually penetrated their lives. Now, here's what's interesting. Getting back to the story, she uses the term son of David, which Matthew, as the gospel writer here, was writing to a largely Jewish audience. They would have had the same prejudice, except that she uses the term son of David. In other words, she acknowledges that the kingdom of David, the, the, the genealogy of Christ through the throne of David, which, by the way, also embraced non-Jews as allies over the land, so how could a Jewish person remain prejudiced against a Canaanite woman such as this one? Now, at first pass, it sounds like Jesus is being mildly condescending. But Jesus' concern is, not, is her faith. It's not her doctrine. It's not her ethnicity. It's not her ancestry. It's not her past sins, but in the soul of a person. Jesus is making, not making a derogatory comment about the woman or her Gentile race. Super important to understand about this passage, because so much throughout history, we have done in the name of Scripture, in the name of Christianity, and we've created colonialism. We've justified slavery. We've justified racism. That's not what's happening when we experience the gospel as God intended it. Now, in Jewish Palestine, Dogs were regarded as scavengers. They were not sort of domesticated animals largely, but in well to do households that were influenced by Greek custom, more familiar to the Syrophoenician woman, dogs were sometimes actually pets. And Jesus is making an illustration. The children must be fed before the quote pets. In other words, saying Jewish people were God's chosen ones to be the light to the world, but they sort of had first claim. Well, the woman recognizes this and understands her station spiritually. This is incredibly either desperate and or humble, which is always how the gospel needs to be received. Not I'm adding God to my already mildly successful life and functioning at a decent level. It's with brokenness and hunger. And so Jesus is sort of vetting out her motives. And he says it this way, I think there was a lot of practice of divination. In other words, pagan magician, sort of cultural wives' tales. And he was trying to see what was behind this. Was was she interested in simply a magic trick? Because they all believed in spirits in this demon possession. But he wants her to demonstrate faith in God alone. And her reply picks up on his illustration between the pets, and she concedes the priority of the Jewish people protests, even the dogs get the crumbs. And she reveals that her faith, not only in the smallest fraction of his power, is necessary to heal her daughter. See, the gospel means good news. And it has, if we allow it, the power to heal and deliver us from emotional, spiritual, mental attacks in the case of her daughter, demon possession. But the gospel also reaches across social divides that culture deems worthless, that culture would say is a threat, that is immoral, that is socially uncomfortable for me. The gospel enables us to be messengers, even ambassadors. And once Jesus vets out her motives and sees her faith in him as the son of God, she meet, he meets him, her in the most personal way. Jesus makes God's care accessible, giving her dignity and worth. This is a healing story if there ever was a healing story. And if you've ever advocated on behalf of a person, whether it be a child, a loved one, or someone who is vulnerable, you can see this kind of justice coming out. Let me say it this way. God's love is like water. And if I had a glass full of ice and I poured water in, where would the water go? To the lowest place. God's love is like water because God's love always seeks the lowest place. Not the most adequate place, not the most successful place, not the most controlling place, the lowest place. And this woman was at the lowest place, maybe because of her race, maybe because of her desperation as a helpless mom. And the gospel doesn't invite us to beg, but like anything of value, needs to be pursued. Richard Rohr wrote in Falling Upward, which I think is his best work. And he's he's a prolific writer, but in the book Falling Upward, he wrote these words, and this is super important to an educated, largely privileged um, group of people. He wrote these words. One must go down in order to go up. We need to lose to gain, to die to rise. We want more success, promotion, money, prestige, respect, honor, accomplishment, we all want to go up. But up, in a truly transformational sense, is predicated on going down. This is the good news. It might not feel like good news, but he goes on to say, and this was what was really convicting Rohrer goes on to say that the two groups that are most resistant to this kind of calling are the rich and the religious. Why is that? Well, I would gather it's because we have the very resources to remain exactly like we are. When we've been invited to a transformational experience, when we've been invited to lay our, our, the depths of our wounds, our fears, our prejudice At the feet of the cross, we have the means to get by because we're educated, because we can provide for ourselves, because we know how to be savvy in culture. We know how to keep people at a distance. We have the very means to remain exactly like we are. Jesus comes as a servant on a donkey to die and to help. The path of descent is actually good news. It is our salvation, and it liberates us from being the center of our lives and needing to be in control as we learn to trust God. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. I found what I thought best characterized maybe the way we view authority. And it's through the eyes of motherhood. And maybe some of you daughters would resonate with this. Maybe some of you sons would resonate this. But let's just say it this way. Every stage of life has blind spots. Does it not? Every stage of life, we don't know what we don't know. But as we learn and hopefully as we grow, we start to uncover. But the best posture for learning is always humility. So let me illustrate our path of descent to ascent in light of moms. See if this resonates with you. At four years of age, we might say something like, my mommy, she can do anything, right? But at eight years of age, we might say something like, my mom, she knows a lot, a whole lot. At 12 years of age, might be inclined to think, my mom doesn't really know everything. But at 14 years of age, OMG, how did she ever survive this long? 16 years of age, oh my gosh, my mom is so old-fashioned. But at 25 years of age, maybe we start thinking, well, maybe my mom knew a little bit. 35 years of age. Hey, before we decide, maybe we should just get mom's opinion. 45 years of age, we might say something like, I wonder what mom would have thought about it. Maybe at 65 years of age, you might just think, gosh, I wish I could talk it over with my mom. And I wonder how we approach God's saving grace. I wonder how it is that we have this experience where we come to God, and understanding that God's love is like water, and it always goes to the lowest places. There's this sense that we somehow have to make ourselves more presentable to God, and then we can kind of reconnect. That even when we fail the hardest, we're like, oh, I can't even approach him in prayer, and that would be a lie to believe.